Welcome to The Week Ahead in Russia, RFERL's Monday podcast about significant developments and upcoming events in Moscow and beyond. I'm Steve Gutterman, and my guest this week is Ben Noble, an associate professor of Russian politics at University College London and a co-author with Jan Mati Dahlbaum and Morvan Laouette of a very topical book that was published this year. It's called Navalny, Putin's Nemesis, Russia's Future, with a question mark after that last part. Thanks very much for joining me today, Ben. Thanks for having me, Steve. All right, great to have you on the podcast. Now, because I'm an editor and get antsy if a first name is missing on first reference, I'll state the obvious. Um, Ben's book is about Alexei Navalny, uh, the opposition leader who was arrested at a Moscow airport last January upon arrival from Germany, where he was treated for a near-fatal nerve agent poisoning he blames on Russian President Vladimir Putin. Navalny is now in prison in the Vladimir region, east of Moscow, serving uh, what's now a -a two-and-a-half-year sentence on what he contends is a patently absurd parole violation charge. Uh, having to do with his being having been in Germany, uh, uh, being treated for the for the poisoning, uh, and uh, that's why he will not be in Strasbourg this Wednesday, uh, two days from now, to receive the Sakharov Prize for Freedom of Thought, a prestigious European honor that he was awarded in October. Um, in announcing the decision, uh, European Parliament Vice President said that Navalny had quote shown great courage in his attempts to restore the freedom of choice to the Russian people, unquote, and that he had fought for human rights and fundamental freedoms in his country for many years. Navalny's daughter is expected to accept uh, the Sakharov Prize on his behalf at the ceremony. Uh, Ben, as I mentioned, the title of your book includes the words Russia's future with a question mark. And a review in the Financial Times um, called it, quote, a fair-minded and comprehensive guide to a man who may yet play a major role in the future of Russia. Uh, For now, though, Navalny is in prison uh, through the middle of 2023, and many believe Putin, who may seek a fifth term as president in 2024, wants to keep him in there longer. Putin, meanwhile, may possibly stay in the Kremlin until 2036. Um, Given those circumstances, Ben, I'm going to ask, what kind of a potential scenario do you see uh, for Navalny becoming Russia's future? Thanks, Steve. As you've already noted, the question mark at the end of the book's title is absolutely crucial. And I should say I've lost track of the number of times I've had to correct uh, particular statement of the title in various pieces. Of course, it's great whenever the book's mentioned, but the question mark really is crucial. The book is an attempt to answer the question of whether Navalny might play an important role in Russia's future rather than claiming that he actually will. And the answer that we give at the end of the book is pretty pessimistic. And I should say we'd be even more pessimistic if finishing the book now. An obvious way, I think, of thinking about whether Navalny could be Russia's future is in terms, relatively simple terms, of whether he could ever become the country's president. And that looks very unlikely at the moment, given the new charges that could keep him behind bars for many more years beyond 2023. 
And in terms of his electoral appeal to Russian voters, it's worth mentioning that his approval rating fell from 20% in September 2020, that is just after his poisoning, to 14% in June this year. And those figures are taken from Nevada Center polling on the matter. Now, of course, these figures should be properly contextualized, including in light of Russian state media's portrayal of Navalny as a treasonous agent of the West. But they do still suggest that Navalny wouldn't have majority support in a presidential election, at least one held in the near future. Right. And we know that many people have supported Navalny in the past. Given the challenge that he's mounted against Vladimir Putin's political system, rather than necessarily supporting Navalny, the potential president, and his particular policy positions, that was really clear, for example, earlier this year when thousands of people took to the streets in Russia after he was detained at passport control. And yet when journalists spoke to those people turning out onto the streets, they weren't necessarily you know, part of the cult of personality of Navalny. They said, OK, I disagree with things that he said in the past, including uh, things that Navalny has said that many people regard as racist, xenophobic or nationalist. And yet those people were turning out because they saw Navalny as that clear challenge uh, to Putin's leadership of the country. And so what we saw earlier this year chimes with findings that we report in the book, and that's research carried out by Jan in the regions between 2017 and this year, speaking to Navalny supporters, speaking to activists and volunteers at his, in his regional offices across the country. And you hear a similar message, that lots of people are supporting Navalny, not because they agree with every political position that he holds, but because of the challenge, the threat that he presents to the Kremlin. And that sort of fits with the way that we try and conceptualise Navalny's position in Russian politics in the book, and that's in terms of, in terms of stage one and stage two. Stage one is to bring down uh, the Putin political system, and stage two is the, for the creation and flourishing of quote-unquote normal politics of a sort of liberal, consolidated Western democracy. I'm, of course, not saying that that is likely, but it does mean that I can sort of round this off by saying that it could be that Navalny plays a crucial role in Russia's future, not as president, but as somebody who helps bring forth a post-Putin area, although it seems that that's a very distant prospect at the moment. Well, it was very interesting. Um, I was just kind of thinking back actually to almost exactly 10 years ago uh, today when Navalny was one of the leaders of the protests um, in, in December 2011 um, that were uh, sparked by concerns about fraud in the in Duma elections and also dismay at Putin's uh, decision to come back to the Kremlin and be president again. Um, and of course, Navalny challenged, uh, tried to challenge Putin by, by seeking to run for president in 2018, but was barred for the, from the election. You know, so he's tried, and I guess that's, you know, that's part of why uh, the Sakharov uh, Prize uh, organizers, you know, say he's, he's been fighting for the freedom of choice, restore the freedom of choice. But interesting the way you, you, you know, you suggest his, his potential role as kind of a uh, restorer of a, of a different kind of system as opposed to being, you know, uh, to being the, you know, the potential or uh, leader under, under that system. 
Yeah, I think so, especially given, you know, if you're asking what a potential scenario could be um, for Navalny to be part of Russia's future, I think that's the most plausible, not as president, but as somebody who's part of this broader challenge uh, to the uh, Putin political system. All right. Uh, Well, thanks very much for that. Um, Now, uh, maybe I've done this in the wrong order, but my other question uh, has more to do, I guess, with the past and the future. Uh, I've watched Navalny's career for at least 10 years, going back uh, to those days in December 2011, um, when he was uh, one of the leaders, a speaker at, sometimes the leader of the street protests um, that erupted uh, for those reasons I described. Um, uh, And, you know, just thinking back to to that time, Putin's decision to to uh, return to the presidency um, in 2012 was certainly a blow to many Russians who were hoping for change. Um, ben, you've obviously been following uh, Navalny's career for at least that long too, and you've literally written the book on him. What would you say is the most interesting, uh, unexpected, or or meaningful thing that you've learned about Navalny or about Russia? I guess while while working on the book. Yeah, I, I can't speak for my co-authors, but yeah. for me, one thing that really stood out when writing the book was the importance of the team that Navalny put together, along with the organizations they founded, um, and those who were crucial in making Navalny the figure he's become. Yes, Navalny is the face people see on the blockbuster anti-corruption foundation videos like Putin's Palace, but people like Lubov Sorbo and Leonid Volkov played absolutely crucial roles in getting into the legal nitty-gritty of corruption allegations and strategizing process mobilization, respectively. Navalny, the man, certainly has a unique blend of qualities that have made him the most significant figure to challenge Vladimir Putin. Things like Navalny's charisma, his way with words, his appreciation of the power of social media, and his sheer doggedness. But Team Navalny, that is to say the collective Navalny, has been no less important. And I think that's something that really uh, comes across from the book. And I should say the book isn't a traditional biography, so we do spend quite a bit of time talking about these team members mm-hmm. and the broader organizational ecosystem that was built and that, of course, uh, has now been destroyed. Another thing that really stood out to me was how Navalny has adapted to changing social and political conditions in Russia. He clearly isn't the conventional, principled Russian liberal who sticks to their guns regardless of how their talking points play in society. At the end of the day, he's a politician, and he's willing to shift in terms of the policy stances that he takes and the emphasis that he makes regarding particular political positions. Now, of course, he can be criticised in that regard as being inconsistent, of just moving with the wind and not having any principled points. And certainly, when we look at particularly controversial page in Navalny's history, and that relates to those statements that he made in the past that I mentioned before that can be regarded as nationalist, racist, or xenophobic. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting case study, because in 2007, he releases these very controversial videos that are still up on YouTube. You can still watch them as part of Navalny's channel. And yet now, he rarely mentions um, points that relate to that nationalist, 
um, uh, stance. So it's interesting how his emphasis changes over time. We can't get inside of Navalny's head to work out whether it's because he no longer believes those points or because uh, he's just decided they're no longer politically efficacious. Uh, but it's interesting to look at that as a case study in Navalny's capacity to be adaptable and to, as I say, shift that emphasis. But I should say that it is worth stressing that he has been consistent regarding at least one thing, and that's the need to fight an authoritarian system that uses corruption and repression to secure its power. Right. And I think that's, I mean, that's a great point, because I think that's something that, you know, there's debate about. Given that, uh, you know, what you just mentioned uh, about his his dedication and his uh, emphasis on on fighting that system, you know, how much uh, weight should or, or could be put on uh, on the other aspect of his, you know, his sometimes shifting positions and, and controversial mm-hmm. uh, remarks or, or positions in the past. So, you know, I think there's some people who, who give more weight to those things and others who say, well, you know, let's have, uh, let's kind of have democracy and then we can talk about, you know, who's the best uh, person uh, to, to reflect that democracy, uh, yeah. to put it in a somewhat right. simple, oversimplified way. Well, yeah, I mean, and it could be, you know, the, the, the clearest demonstration of Navalny's impact that he helps bring forth a system where he doesn't become the most important politician, that he helps um, uh, create the space for other people uh, whose political voices can flourish. And that's sort of one of the, 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 the tensions that we play out in the book. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to go back to another thing you mentioned here, um, the, the importance of his team. And I guess also of you know the, his team, both narrowly in terms of Sobol and and others, but also uh, his his uh, um, network, I guess, in the regions all across Russia. Um, and and I guess the importance of that, you know, the Kremlin seems to have understood this um, and gone after not not just Navalny, but but very obviously gone after. You know both that that team and the and mm-hmm. the networks um, essentially destroying them, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the regional the regional network clearly was a challenge to the Kremlin, even taking into account the approval ratings of Navalny. The fact that the challenge that he was presenting was organized and had some level of support across the country uh, clearly set Navalny and his movement apart from other political uh, players. Yes, of course, you could point to the Communist Party as having a very serious organization across the country, but they were willing to play the game. Of course, that's a fascinating story that's playing out now, the extent to which they will continue to play the game, the extent to which different factions will continue to play the game. But I think uh, the uh, organization of regional offices is clearly um, a challenge to the Kremlin, and that's why they've been destroyed. And it's clear um, why the leaders of those regional offices now are in various uh, positions that aren't anywhere near what I imagine most of them thought they would be in earlier this year. So many have uh, left the country and others are being pursued by law enforcement. So I think that's another indication of the threat that was posed by Navalny and his movement against the Kremlin. And it's why we should definitely be deeply skeptical of any statement from somebody like Dmitry Peskov that Navalny didn't pose a challenge to the Kremlin. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, that that's... Uh, and some, you know, when I was writing out, you know, my, my remarks for this, um, 
I'm thinking, was it really less than a year ago that Navalny returned? It seems like so much has happened mm-hmm. in terms of the crackdown. But yes, it was last January, the same the same year. So um, uh, yeah, so much so much has changed, and it's not as if there's been a, a, you know a complete pivot in the way that the Kremlin has dealt with political opposition in Russia. There's just been an acceleration, right. you know, an acceleration of tendencies that have been around for a while. Uh, but still, I don't think that Navalny and his team really thought that his movement would be repressed as much as it has been repressed this year. And then, of course, we can have other conversations playing counterfactuals about whether if they had known that, Navalny would have returned. But, you know, that's that, that's still, um, we could spend ages discussing <laughs> that. I'm not quite sure how helpful it would be. It's clear now that the movement has been destroyed. Um, and it would just be really interesting to see what his team abroad, outside of Russia, can do, if anything, to continue the Navalny story alive, because that's clearly what they want to do. They want to keep his name in the media as much as possible, whereas, of course, the Kremlin wants to do the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, I mean, those are fascinating insights. And I'll just add, uh, you know, in th- this week when we have Navalny or his daughter receiving in his name the Sakharov Prize, also we also have there are also two court uh, hearings in Russia um, over the state's effort to close memorial. So that's a separate uh, mm. part of the kind of the crackdown that that, as you say, really accelerated with with Navalny's return. All right, uh, we're running out of time, and we'll wrap it up there. Ben, it was great to talk to you. Thanks a lot for joining me. My pleasure, Steve. All right, um, I'll be back again next Monday, and please keep an eye out on Friday for my Week in Russia newsletter. Thanks for listening. Mm